1: I'm wish I we shall
0: Before we get today to today's uh, exciting um, radio program, I wanted to remind you, which I do every couple of years, that I have a couple of books that I've written. Uh, the most recent one is uh, a book of autobiographical short stories, and it's pretty good. It's really pretty good. It's called *A Long Swim Upstream. And of course, where could you get this? Amazon. 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 Um, which put every bookstore out of business. And now they're building their own bookstores. Did you read the, did you read about this? Amazon put 90% of the bookstores in this country out of business and now they're building their own bookstores. Soon this company is going to own the entire world. They're going to you're going to have to, if you want to breathe outside, if you want to turn up the air in your apartment or down, just the oxygen, Amazon will own the oxygen. I mean, it's absolutely astounding. Sooner or later, Aren't there things called antitrust laws? I don't know. It's like a giant octopus that's eating the whole world. Anyway, uh, that'll be just the first of thousands of complaints on this radio program. This is the complaint show. <laughs> and, um, anyhow, also, um, I would like you to get in touch with me. If anybody has actually listened to this radio program, um, then get in touch with me. I'll, yeah, if, yeah, some of you do. I know sometimes more than a few, but uh, I want to hear from people who i don't hear from. I want to hear from you no matter what you think of the program or what your opinion is about the program anything. just get in touch with me. You can do that by going to my website fader files f e d e r f i l e s dot com and there'll be a place to contact me there and you can get on my mailing list too so <clears throat> I got back uh blood test results yesterday, and I have uh, uh almost what I'd call alarmingly low testosterone, alarmingly low testosterone. And that could, if you've ever had that, uh, I guess this is just men I'm talking to, if you've ever had that, it can be very, very disturbing and very um, afflicting. It can affect your, uh, your energy, your, uh, it can make you depressed if it's low, it uh, can give you trouble sleeping, all kinds of things. But, of course, there were times in my life when I was... Um, uh, when I was, uh, I can't say afflicted, but I was uh, maybe blessed and afflicted at the same time with high testosterone. And high testosterone could get you in a lot of trouble too. Now, I don't want to blame all my misadventures and all, you know, all those troubles that I had, uh, mostly uh, with uh, women and with excessive behavior, uh, sometimes violence, on a little, innocent little hormone. I mean, but why not? But anyhow, I can't do that. Obviously, it had a lot, a lot of other things involved. My, uh, the way I uh, was born, grew up, structured my brain, the way I'm wired, who knows. But low testosterone, high testosterone. And speaking of um, uh, the um, disturbing effects, perhaps, sometimes of uh, high testosterone, some of you may have read this article the other day and you may be aware of this story. Some of you uh, may have noticed it and said, who cares? <laughs> And some of you may not have, uh, uh, noticed this, you know, Anthony Weiner, right? Anthony Weiner, who was a former longtime congressman, a very liberal New York congressman and, um, <clears throat> uh, was, uh, outed in a sexting scandal, uh, sometime in the last, uh, I think sometime in 2016 and especially, which was uh, very destructive for him and everybody else, um, right near the, uh, the, uh, the election, Hillary Clinton's election. Why does that concern her? Because this tangled web of James, James Comey and everything else, he discovered, or says he discovered um, uh, thousands of new emails on her um, email, whatever it's called, her email account, that were back and forth to her uh, right-hand woman, a woman who's been her top political advisor for many, many, many years and I think still is, Huma Abedin. And who is Huma Abedin? Anthony Weiner's long-suffering wife. And um, so uh, it all came out, and finally stuff he'd been denying for a while. It turns out he was uh, sexting, and I assume everybody out there knows what sexting is. I mean, even I know, and I'm a dinosaur, and I'm an old guy, but I've, I've heard of it. I don't sext myself. I don't even have a smartphone. But uh, anyhow, sexting. And um, poor Mr. Weiner and everybody else around him uh, were devastated by this. And um, there was something about this, something about this, I don't know, that really got to me. Um, anyhow, here's the article. Let's see if I can get my, my throat, can get my way through the article. <clears throat> Anthony D. Weiner, this is in the Times on um, Saturday, May 20th. Anthony D. Weiner, the former Democratic congressman whose sexting scandals ended his political career and embroiled him in a tumultuous FBI investigation of Hillary Clinton before the election, pleaded guilty to a felony on Friday, crying openly as he admitted to conduct that conduct that he knew was, quote, as morally wrong as it was unlawful, end quote. The plea agreement ended a federal investigation into a series of sexually explicit pictures and messages that Mr. Weiner sent last year to a 15-year-old girl in North Carolina. It capped the long, tortured downfall of Mr. Weiner, who ruined a once-promising career in Congress and then spoiled various attempts at resurrecting his reputation all through uh, his uncontrolled habit of using social media and text to send explicit images to women. There were several women, but uh, this one that got him was, uh, obviously since this is a teenage girl, was a federal offense. It also cost him his marriage. His estranged wife, Huma Abedin, a top aide to Mrs. Clinton, filed for divorce from Mr. Weiner on Friday in New York, same day that um, that he was convicted, according to people with knowledge of the action. Uh, Mr. Weiner said, I engaged in obscene communications with his teenager. He said, his voice high and shaky, his body trembling. Those communications included sharing explicit images and encouraging her to engage in sexually explicit conduct. You understand there's no sex here. This is images and talk. And um, it's uh, an interesting distinction emotionally, um, but we'll get to that. Uh, Justice indulged in sharing, included sharing explicit images and encouraging her to engage in sexually explicit conduct. Just as he had done with adult women, he said. Mr. Weiner, 52, will have to register as a sex offender where he works and lives, and he may face a prison term. Mr. Weiner quickly dissolved into tears as he read from a written statement when the judge, Loretta A. Preska, asked that he describe what he had done. He told Judge Preska that from the time he was in Congress through the first half of last year—that's a long time he was in Congress— I've compulsively, he said, I have compulsively sought attention from women who contacted me on social media. And I engage with many of them in both sexual and non-sexual conversations. Well, non-sexual, but sexual conversations. A new world. It's a new world. Sexual conversations uh, remotely done um, at long distances with people you never knew. Mr. Weiner, choking up and rubbing his forehead, said that last fall he came to grips for the first time with the depths of my sickness, he said. I had hit bottom, he said. Through treatment I found the courage to take a moral inventory of my defects. He said that he began a program, he began a program of recovery and mental health treatment that he was continuing. Mr. Weiner said he had apologized to those he had hurt, including the teenage girl whom I mistreated so badly. And I am committed to making amends to those I've harmed. Um, <clears throat> yes, it's a 12-step program. It's a 12-step program. And you, um, anybody who's been in one or gone to meetings will uh, recognize the, uh, the language and um, the intentions and the goals. And I think what's, uh, to me, what's sadly gripping about this guy's story is that it touches on some universal conditions you know like sex marriage power uh, what secret yearnings compulsions and also the story is about a gambler's mentality playing to lose this is a guy who was uh, ultimately of course self-destructive uh, on a small scale maybe on a large scale if you take it symbolically it's a kind of tragedy there is a documentary on wiener it's um it's kind of repetitive, but it's uh, absolutely morbidly fascinating to watch this train wreck coming in slow motion. And he was trying to run for mayor to resurrect his political career. This was, um, I don't know when it was, a year or two years ago, a little bit longer. And uh, for some reason, he allowed somebody to film this whole thing. I mean, personal stuff, stuff between him and his wife, stuff about uh, on the campaign, things that happened. And it was an extra, it's an extraordinary documentary, not great art or anything like that. But it's just uh, impossible, sort of, when you're watching it, not to, to take your eyes away from it. Um, and you watch this guy sort of thrash around in his own mess, trying to escape from all the emotional circumstantial, you know, prisons that he built with his own hands. I mean, to the extent, of course, that he had any control over himself. I mean, this is something, you know, I mean, how much control do we have over ourselves? How much are we? I mean, there, uh, one extreme example is you are what you do. You are, you know... Buddhism, right thinking, right action, make the right choice, karma. Um, but there's a lot of things in people that are difficult to control. And some people, it's more difficult to control than others, I think. Anyhow, he was in the grip of something, and he he um, kept doing things he knew were wrong. Um, the more public part of the tragedy is that Wiener really was, in, when he was in Congress, a really eloquent, fiery spokesman for hum- humanitarian principles. He was... Um, one exception might have been with the Palestinians. This is in my opinion. He was uh, so pro-Israel and so anti-Palestinian that he would have seen them all, uh, you know, dumped into the ocean, But uh, the Palestinians. But uh, one thing, and, of course, this is ironic, but this is the way it always goes with, with things like this. Uh, one thing he was a big champion of was women's rights. And uh, this, of course, reminds me of Eliot Spitzer, the former governor of... Um, of New York, and some of you may remember him. He was an incredible character. He had been the attorney general, and, and Elliot Spitzer was the scourge of the big bankers and big corporations. I mean, he was somebody, but he was fiery and also he was solid and he was deep and he was smart and he was passionate, and he went after these guys. And we really had a lot of faith in this guy. We wanted to see him be president, we wanted to see him go after the corporations and the banks. And uh, we look forward to having him, you know, do this. But he was brought down by a similar scandal. Uh, He was brought down um, by casual liaisons with prostitutes. And um, extraordinary. And and the way he did was also self-destructive. I mean, here's the governor of New York, and occasionally he would fly to Washington to do business. And when he went to Washington, I guess, and of course anybody's so intelligent, you have to think something else is wrong here, there's some flaw. He thought that when he was in Washington, he was going to be invisible and that he could do whatever he wanted. In this day and age, when everybody knows everything and takes pictures and recordings of everybody doing anything at all everywhere, and this guy, a very famous person, goes down to Washington to testify, and they catch him, you know. And uh, the scandal, uh, and there was no, nothing illegal about it, uh, but the scandal uh, brought him down, and then it ruined his marriage, of course. And then, of course, with this kind of stuff, you know, with with, uh, Spitzer and the same with uh, Wiener and uh, so many other men in in public office, we have uh, here with Wiener another public example, because Huma Abedin stuck with him for a long time, of the good wife, you know, the good wife standing by her man. (laughs) ¶¶
2: Sometimes it's hard to be a woman giving all your love to just one man. You have bad times, and you have good times doing things that you don't understand But if you love him you'll forgive him Even though he's hard to understand Just a man Stand by a man Give him two arms to cling to And something warm to come to When nights are cold and lonely
0: Wynette, Tammy Wynette. You know, that song could never be made now. I mean, it could be made, but no one would buy it. I mean, we could, you know, a lot of people, (laughs) depending on their level of uh, what they assume is their sophistication, uh, thought that was already stupid and old fashioned uh, back when it came out. When did it come out? The 70s, maybe? I think it came out in this. Do you know? (laughs) <laughs> I, can't, I can't get the hand signals I'm being told but I don't know sometime uh, maybe uh, 68 68 okay thank you um, 68 a long time ago right that 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 would never be re- it wouldn't be written now and it wouldn't be recorded now times have changed things have changed between men and women and uh, women would be embarrassed I think a lot by uh, by that kind of thing but this stand-by-your-man thing, I mean, when she sang this, it was still, you know, for a lot of people, uh, and maybe a lot of people more where she came from than maybe the, uh, the northern elites or whoever. Uh, you know, we, we've seen this stuff for decades now. Some high-profile male politician does something sleazy or illegal or both, and uh, at least for a while, sometimes for a long time, his wife loyally stands by, uh, beside him as he either denies it or admits it. I mean, you ever see The Good Wife? It's a terrific television show, just based on his whole theme about a politician and his wife. Wonderful show. Um, and uh, these women stand by the... I mean, you know, that's, the way, that's what they did. I mean, think of Jacqueline Kenny, Kennedy and Lady Bird Johnson. They endured uh, before their... Um, before their husbands were, uh, you know, in high office and uh, during and um, I don't know about Johnson's case afterwards. But um, they they put up with this. They, and these guys had dozens and dozens and dozens. If you add them up, possibly, because I've read biographies of these guys, hundreds of casual sexual affairs. Uh, nobody that they were serious about. They always stuck with their wives uh, in their own fashion. But uh, it was embarrassing to everybody who knew but um you know back in those days they uh, uh the media didn't pounce on everybody every minute they didn't have the ability to and there was also kind of a code that they didn't they didn't out people like that not like later on so so these women stand by their men but how much is enough you, see, you know I mean how much is enough Elliot spitzer's wife originally stood by him and for a couple of years huma Abedin, Wiener's wife also remained loyal to him and um and Hillary Clinton, of course. I mean, Hillary Clinton, she stood by her husband all those years in Arkansas and then as president. And who knows what happens, uh, I mean, between what happened between them. Who knows what happens between couples? You can't judge any other couple, right? You only know what you can do with, what you're doing with your couple. And sometimes you, <laughs> you don't even know what you're doing in the couple you're in. Um, but who knows uh, how complicated her motives were, too. I mean, after all, she had tremendous ambitions. And... Uh, They had some kind of deal. I don't even know if it was verbal, but they had a deal between the two of them because she put up with a lot of shit from this guy. Has has any wife ever left the White House? Here's a question. Has any wife ever left the White House and gotten a divorce while her husband was president? No. No. And Hillary Clinton, you know, like I say, she had her own ambitions. But uh, one thing's for sure. Hillary Clinton must have had a lot to share with Huma Abedin. I mean, talk about two people who had something rare and, uh, I mean, rare... For their particular circles uh, in common, and they could really probably help each other. Maybe that's why they stuck together for so long too. I, I mean, aside for whatever brilliance, and apparently she is brilliant. Uh, Huma Abedin brought to the to the bargaining table there. Um, and Mr. So Mr. Weiner confessed. He confessed his crime and his uncontrollable behavior, and he's apologized to people he hurt. Right? Um, what more can the guy do? He's sworn. to make amends, and this 12-step program he's in probably is Sex Addicts Anonymous. I think it's called SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, although he's hardly anonymous. I, you know, I really, I hope it helps him. I mean, I hope it helps the guy. Uh, Confession, um, confession could be good for the soul. I I always, when I was a kid growing up in my neighborhood, it was mostly Jews, Methodists, and Lutherans, And there were some um, Catholics, but the uh, uh, I always wondered about Catholics and confession because in my neighborhood uh, it was all Italians. The Catholics were Italians, and uh, you know they went to. I heard about confession. I didn't know really much about it. My grandmother warned me to stay away from anybody who was a Christian. She (laughs) she she hated uh, being uh, Jewish and being the victim of many, many, many incredible persecutions. And this is after World War II and everything that happened. She wanted me to remain, uh, she wanted me to even look at a church, right? This is what my grandmother was like. But, uh, you know, I would go to school and uh, hear from these kids. And to me, the Italians seemed to be, and they were, uh, much less inhibited than the Jews in my neighborhood. And I thought maybe it was confession. I mean, imagine that. We didn't have anything like that. If you could go to a priest, uh, theoretically, hopefully, an understanding person, I don't know. I had no idea because I was totally ignorant about it. And tell them everything you did wrong, and they give you a penance. But uh, just saying it doesn't mean anything, right? But anyhow, it's, uh, it was always puzzling to me. And I, I guess I was jealous of them, too. Um, but I guess the ideal with confession is uh, to what Jesus said, and this is to paraphrase. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Didn't you say something like that? You're forgiven. You're forgiven your sins. Go and sin no more. Go out in the world and do the right thing. It doesn't do much good to confess your sins and receive forgiveness without going out and starting to lead a different life, right? I mean, um, I am familiar with this on the side of the person who has uh, committed many sins. Uh, um, You can talk all you want, uh, but—and it's like apologies, uh, talking about talking about forgiveness, maybe being— being contrite, it's different than acting in the right way. Apologies don't mean much uh, if they mean anything at all. If they just go on and on after each new, you know, transgression or insult or humiliation, these apologies just become more fuel for the uh, for the. F- it's just like an insatiable fire of the compulsion that dri- that drove you to do this. It's like men who drink or beat up their wives. It becomes a sadomasochistic relationship until the wife. Um, until maybe in rare circumstances the men reform themselves and <clears throat> the wives just take off they've at a certain point uh, they have enough of it uh words or, or tears aren't a substitute for actually doing the right thing i think uh, after a certain point is reached silence is probably better uh, of course forgiveness is always possible forgiveness is always possible uh, you hope and without it where would we be right the human race i mean uh, A lot of people aren't forgiving other people these days, and you see the result of it. I mean, who can forgive you? God forgive you. God forgive you. Jesus can forgive you. Your friends, your family. You might even be able to forgive yourself. But uh, there will always be people uh, who were the victims of your uh, behavior who will be too hurt. They're too hurt. It goes too deep. We've gone too far. Great song. I love that song. I first heard that song, when was that? Um, Maybe 19, in the 1990s. I don't know when it was written. Maybe the 80s or the 90s. And there's uh, several recordings of it online. It's a a really terrific song. And I was wondering, who were these women that uh, that Wiener sexted with? Did they get in touch with him first? I think it sounds like, yes. Well, uh, maybe a lot of them, you know, after all, he would get, uh, he was a very, um, dynamic figure i mean he's a funny looking guy he he's something he's like very skinny almost very skinny he almost looks like haunted he's got a haunted some like a skeletal look an intense almost skeletal look like something's burning inside him and it's like burning him up uh, but maybe there's a certain attraction about that and he was a uh, a very powerful character in congress in a powerful voice and um A lot of uh, people probably sent him, uh, you know, letters, emails, of course, uh, texts, and maybe uh, they um, sent him some, some women sent him some pictures of themselves, right? Uh, They wanted to um, sort of reach out and touch him themselves. But uh, I just, uh, I wonder who these women are. I mean, um, and then he got back with them. That's all, you know, he got back with them. um, And um, there was some connection, though. He didn't just pick their names out of some telephone book somewhere. But uh, with other consenting adults, unless it's just harassment, you have to pursue somebody with this stuff, it's not a crime. In this particular case, uh, like I say, a 15-year-old girl. In North Carolina, it was a federal felony. Uh, these things, people say, like patronizing a prostitute or sexting or the like are really victimless crimes. But is there really such a thing as a victimless crime? I mean, not in this case with this girl. But Wiener's wife and child are obviously victims. His friends, his political supporters people who worked for him in his congressional office, I mean, the voters of his district, people, a lot of people were uh, victimized by his behavior. It's, uh, there's something about, uh, I don't have the quote here, in um, Hamlet, you know, when great ones, something about when great ones fall, uh, you know, we're all in a lot of trouble. And that's true. The higher up somebody is, and uh, when they fall, they take a lot of people with them. Um, and what about Hillary Clinton as a victim? Uh, I mean, you don't usually think of Hillary Clinton in any way as a victim. Uh, but uh, right before the election, you know, this whole thing with the emails and um, uh, exposure of the sexting. Um, and uh, what did other people think? I mean, this was right before the election. And, you know, um, there's this oh, the, the whole the whole Middle West, uh, you know, Iowa and uh, Wisconsin and—not uh, Wisconsin—Iowa, but other places like Pennsylvania and uh, sort of these more— um, you know, Christian, religious uh, states down south, the Bible Belt, all these places. This comes out, sex, degrading, perverse, deviant sex, New York sex. An arrogant guy, uh, you know, he was an arrogant fella, an uh, ultra-liberal New York Jew, a Jew, married to a Muslim, right? And uh, this this cannot have helped Hillary coming out right before the election. A lot of things did her in, um, I think particularly her own assumption and the people around her like Schumer and all these other people who uh, who have been sort of owning and running the uh, Democratic Party for a long time, Pelosi, that they were completely out of touch with people. They had no idea what people wanted, what people were like. They had no idea that entertainment had overtaken morality and intellect in the country. And this is who we've got now is this moron, this showboating moron. But uh, – and what bothered, there's another thing that bothered me about, uh, about Anthony Weiner and his coming out before the election uh, and being connected to Hillary Clinton. Like a lot of people in any kind of definable minority, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> Jews, blacks, um, and, you know, you name it, go on and on and on. It always, it, I, I wince when one of my own gets involved in some national disgrace or crime. You know how that is, right? You know how that is? If you're if you're one of a, of a minority or um, a persecuted group, historically or even currently, it just, it makes you, you, you say to yourself, oh God, don't let it be somebody black. Don't let it be somebody Latino. Don't let it be an Arab. Don't let it be a Muslim. Don't let it be a Jew, you know? And you think of these people, Anthony Weiner, Monica Lewinsky, who on her own, God knows what, you know, sort of heart, you know, heart, uh, <laughs> heartfelt way was just, uh, you know, uh, absurdly uh, dragging down this guy, uh, Clinton, when, they all, when everybody found out about it. And, it, of course, he dragged himself down. He's the one who initiated all this. It never would have happened without him, his compulsion, right? Um, but um, when it came time for the 2000 elections and Gore was running, uh, <coughs> he, Gore had to make a choice to separate himself uh, how far did he separate himself from Clinton? I think he separated himself too far, and that's one reason he lost the election, because people still had a lot of uh, you know, feelings for Clinton. A lot of people believed in him. A lot of people wanted to, to, uh, to, uh, you know, to follow him still. He was charming. He was, uh, he was uh, brilliant. I mean, everything else, he had that special quality, that charisma, and he was uh, an extremely uh, brilliant man. I mean, he really knew what he was doing as president, I think. And he did a lot of things a lot of people didn't like, and a lot of Democrats and liberals, as liberals especially, didn't like. But he was still a big deal. But Al Gore, it was, this scandal was like right before, you know, like uh, in political time, look at your watch, political time, right before the 2000 elections. And Al Gore distanced himself from Bill Clinton. I think maybe that is uh, one of the reasons it cost Al Gore the election. And uh, other people, right? Um, Bernie Madoff. Remember Bernie Madoff, uh, who, um, <clears throat> or is it Mad- Madoff? I think it's Madoff, who robbed billions of dollars. He cheated people, people, you know, old ladies. He cheated families. He cheated innocent people. Out. Well, no, some of them weren't so innocent. They were getting a ridiculous return, and they should have suspected something. But a lot of people got cheated out of their whole life savings, everything. They went broke because of this guy. And now, look, Jared Kushner. Jared Fucking Kushner, right? he has got to be. It's got to be a Jewish guy, right? He's, uh, you know, here he is, all his money grubbing ways, his billions of dollars, his uh, deceiving, thieving ways, uh, and every way he's bending the law. And um, it it bothers me. It bothers me that he's Jewish because this is a, you know a sort of he'll reinforce. Though of course it's part of the um, the um, bigotry. He'll reinforce a lot of anti-Semitic attitudes about Jews. I was just watching a movie last night. I was rewatching watching a movie on, uh, on um, a streaming called Eight Men Out. Did you ever see Eight Men Out? It's about um, the, um, the uh, 1919 World Series that was thrown by the best team in baseball, the 1919 uh, Chicago White Sox. And um, who, was in, who was behind this, who financed the whole thing, who corrupted baseball, the most American game? A Jew from New York, a Jewish gangster from New York named Arnold Rothstein, who was a very big shot Jewish gangster, and he came up with the money and he came up with the muscle and the threats to um, to corrupt the Chicago White Sox, which uh, who were the best team by far in baseball and were odds-on to win the World Series. They threw the, they threw the World Series. An amazing uh, uh, you know, incident in American history. So the Jew from New York... Uh, Jared Kushner, Bernie Madoff, I don't know where Monica Lomis is from, Anthony Weiner? Oh, boy. Anyway. But compulsions. Why did Anthony Weiner do this? Uh, was it something about his marriage? I don't think so. I don't think so. He probably would have done this no matter who he was married to. It wasn't about this particular marriage. Was it the way he was brought up? In another time, would he be uh, like a phone sex guy? Uh, used to be uh, heavy breathers. Before the Internet, it was guys who would call up on the phone. Or maybe they would go out in the street and um, expose themselves. You, you never hear about that happening anymore. I don't think that even does happen. Who needs it with the Internet? You can expose yourself all over the place, and even much more anonymously, and not even risk arrest. <laughs> you know, But guys used to expose themselves on the street. People used to call up on the phone and just, <laughs> <laughs> they would get women on the phone. But uh, that all seems so... Uh, so innocent now when you think about it, I mean, compared to what goes on now. Maybe it was just something poor Mr. Wiener's wiring, or maybe it was an emotional thing, you know, this whole idea of, um, of trying to, um, uh, of avoiding intimacy, which is something I've talked about before on this radio show, where, you know, um, you know so many people are, um, I mean, there was always pornography, right? There was always pornography, but so many American men uh, boys and men are um, watching pornography now. It's a 100 times more than it used to be. Playboy, another innocent thing compared to what goes on on the Internet now. And um, this, uh, this stuff is, um, you know, uh, something that people do. Uh, and it's an urge, it's a craving, it's a need, and it's an addiction, too. But also there's something about this uh, that a lot of uh, men do, and I suppose women do, too, who have affairs. Um... Maybe they don't like their marriage, but on the other hand, maybe it's just too much for them. The intimacy of their marriage is too much for them. And having these affairs, even if it's sexting, um, sort of gives them some distance. It dilutes the the intensity of their actual relationship. And maybe some people are more highly sexed than others. More testosterone is what I started out talking about. I mean, definitely men and some women are more highly sexed than other women. Uh, Men, definitely more testosterone. Maybe mismatches between partners. Could this lead to this kind of thing? Uh, what about the idea of this drive to tremendous power and great power and responsibility, the pressures involved? Uh, do some of the comparatively few women in such positions also act on these urges? Do they? I don't know. I wonder. Probably not. The, the, the history of uh, gender relationships being what they are. I mean, John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, right? Uh, like I said, they had hundreds of sexual escapades, but there was that media code back there that they didn't splash it all over the place. But on the other hand, some guys like, um, like uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King, one of the greatest, uh, most decent uh, humanitarian Americans that ever lived, uh, fighting the great fight, brave, uh, brilliant, passionate, courageous, um, was known to have many, many, many sexual affairs. And uh, one thing that's pretty creepy about that is that J. Edgar Hoover was taping some of these uh, some of these incidents I and mean, the idea you can't even compute the perversity and the insanity of J. Edgar Hoover, the closet queen, uh, listening to uh, Martin Luther King uh, with his sexual affairs. I mean, it's just amazing. But, but you know, guys with a lot of um, I mean, George Bush, uh, you know, George W. Bush, Obama, Jimmy Carter. These guys did not have all these affairs. I mean, you know, and they had all this tremendous burden of power. But the media code that, uh, that let uh, Johnson and Kennedy get away with this stuff kind of disintegrated. Uh, right around the time, the good old boy Bill Clinton, uh, the biggest bopper of them all, came around.
2: You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much of love drives a man insane You broke my will, but what a thrill Goodness, grace, great balls of fire I let you love all I bought.
3: I've changed my mind. This love is mine.
2: It's just great balls of fire. Kisses, baby. Mmm. Feels good. Hold oh, me, baby. Well, I want to love you like I love you should. Well, you're fine. So kind. Got you tell this world that you mine, 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 mind. That you find down and that with like, oh, all my guns. I'm real on but it's no real Oh baby it was pretty crazy, crazy. And this girl, it's, just it's just great, great. Balls, balls of fire
0: About fifteen-year-old uh, girls, Cherry Lee Lewis, thirteen-year-old <laughs> girls, whatever. Only marry a twelve-year-old girl or something. Uh, another question is monogamy. Is monogamy a natural state for men and women? I mean, the way the social order has always been structured, um, uh, was it? I guess until the last couple of decades, um, much less acceptable for women to have sexual adventures outside of marriage than men. Yeah, right. Of course. Of course, at all times, in every place. How much of that has changed uh, in, in at least modern Western countries? I don't know. I mean, things are very different now than they used to be, but not, uh, not in some parts of the world. But I'm talking about, you know, Western countries here. Uh, maybe men, or at least most men, are different than women, most women, when it comes to sex outside marriage. I mean, maybe it just doesn't mean as much to them. So, uh, there's something about that. I mean, uh, you know, cultural or biological. I mean, is that true? Is it? You think that's true, or is that maybe that's just something from another generation?
4: I tell everybody what a nice person you were, too. <laughs> I think that a lot of marriages went west. You know, they were split up. Uh, my generation, because. Ladies didn't know that guys were different. I mean, different... It's very tough for chicks to realize that, that although we speak the same language, that you you can have babies. It's different. You, you're so... It's like no guy ever cheated on his wife, ever. But ladies would get hurt and want to leave the husbands because they thought the husband's cheated, and they never did cheat. Because what cheating means, I know, to a lady means kissing and hugging and liking somebody. You have to at least like somebody. Guys that doesn't enter into it all the time, no. Ladies are one emotion and guys detach, not consciously detach, but they just do detach. Like a lady can't go through a plate glass window and go to bed with you five seconds later. But guys can have head-on collisions with Greyhound buses. In disaster areas. Everybody's laying dead on the highway. Not only the hospital, in the ambulance, the guy makes play for the nurse. How could he do a thing at a time like that? I got horny. What? got hot. How could you be hot when your foot was cut off and you're dead? I don't know. He's an animal! He got hot with his foot cut off. I guess I'm an animal. What did you get hot at? The nurse's uniform. It's a moron. That's all. He's an animal. It's just... No, it's guys detach, and has nothing to do with them liking, loving. You put guys in a desert island, they'll do it to mud. Mud. So if you caught your husband with mud, somehow you could get overseas there. Mud! Don't talk to me. That's all. You're piece of shit leave me alone that's all go with your mud have fun <laughs> you want dinner get your mud to make dinner for you that's all that's it's just as you can't get angry at them you can't, you can't want to leave them for that at all no it's um you know is actually subjective but in retrospect I really get a kick out of it that getting divorced the only true get even device because I'm really convinced that no guy ever leaves a chick, you know. When chicks get cold, they really get cold. <whistles> That's, it's over, really. When it's over with them, it's over. And guys can't ever figure that out. They always think it's one more time, you know? And the guy's so, like, so, so you can't, right? <virtuous> bong, bong, <laughs> bong, Yeah, because, th- here's what I figured it is: You always hear chicks say, you know, Oh, I wish I could meet a man, you know, some some dignity, and just, know, this guy can walk all over, you know, be really a man, a man. But chicks don't know that, it's, it's, guys are like dogs. <laughs> you know, you take a dog, you beat the shit, up, pow! Keep, <laughs> pow, keep coming back. Ladies are like cats. You yell at a cat once, Simon's cat, psh, they're gone. <laughs> so that kind of quality that ladies are looking for, you really want a guy to act like a lady. Because it's a ladylike trait. It's that kind of spunk and they don't need anything.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lenny Bruce. Um, men are different than women. Men are different than women. Um, but think of, uh, think of that uh, revolutionary book that uh, Robert Bly wrote. And again, I'm guessing again, because I'm so old I can't remember times. Um, maybe this was in the, um, in the 80s, maybe, uh, called uh, Iron John a sort of revolutionary book about men and women in the United States. And he uh, posited something called the soft man, you know, the soft man. Well, you know, this, this stuff uh, that, um, that uh, Wiener was doing, I mean, uh, it's an addiction. It's an addiction. And now he's in a 12-step program. And there are men addicted to, uh, to danger. And ultimately, it's uh, self-destruction. I mean, to constant risk. Racing car drivers, men who fly small planes, uh, they, some of them fly into storms, mountain climbers, Navy SEALs. My father, God rest him, for most of his life, before he got tired of it, way into his 50s, he was always looking for trouble. And of course, he found it wherever he went. And that's where he found it wherever he went. Uh, uh, danger, risk, playing to lose like a gambler. I mean, Wiener's texting pseudonym was uh, Carlos Danger of all things. Carlos Danger.
2: There's a man who leads a life of danger To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger With every move he makes, another chance he takes Uh, We're
0: running out of time here, but um, after all, in the end, Anthony Weiner was, what what he was doing was riding an egocentric high. I know about these things, believe me. He was a prodigy, a political whiz kid. He was the youngest New York City councilman in history, always climbing higher. But for all his brilliance, there was no depth, uh, no counterbalance uh, to this high. He had no sense of responsibility, real responsibility. He was careless with other people's feelings, and he was careless with his own life. Um, Well, uh, like I say, but it's so much easier to communicate these days. Uh, so much easier to communicate, you know? You take a picture and snap. You could send it everywhere, and God help you, right? So you got to watch out what you're doing. And before the Internet, like I said, it was a heavy breather on the phone, or calling somebody to uh, talk dirty or uh, cater to some special sex, fan- sex fantasy on the phone. Um, how, Like I say, it's, it, that's an innocent time. These days, everybody's closer with all these things and further away at the same time. They're in touch and they're out of touch. So we know Weiner will be sentenced in September, and he could very well wind up doing a couple of years in federal prison. He would have an especially hard time. This guy, obviously, I mean, considering who he is and the way he grew up, skinny, loudmouthed boy from Queens. And you could say he brought it on himself, right? He brought it on himself, and I suppose he did. Instant karma got him. He was gotten by his own instant karma. You do pay for everything in the end. Um. Maybe they're giving him these three months. In September, they'll sentence him. Maybe they give him these three months to see if his rehabilitation is genuine, and maybe they'll let him off the hook. It's hard to know. In the end, it's just—it's hard to be a human being in this heartless world. It's a heartless, hard world. I mean, yeah, you find love. That's great. You know, you're saved. But you're not always, you, know, you always got to watch out. You got to be responsible. You got to take care of yourself, and you got to take care of other people. It's hard to be a human being. You have all these needs, you have yearnings, urges, and a lot of the time, most of the time, you need to keep them hidden uh, for various reasons, but sometimes it's too much. For some people, uh, they feel like they're going to blow up. Then you hit the keyboard, or you go out in the world, and you take your chances. You take your chances. I mean, in the end, you have to have sympathy for people who go too far. You do, who get tripped up. People get tripped up by their own cravings, because... There's a very thin line, like a kind of a thin red line, uh, to borrow uh, James Jones' um, title from his novel, between yourself and them. I mean, it's a it's a thin thing. So uh, if you can manage it, sympathy. I mean, you don't think of Wiener and you don't think of you think of and you don't think of sympathy too much. Uh, but um, I feel it for him. I do feel it for him. Obviously, there's some self identification. Anyhow, um, we'll see what happens to the guy.
3: sad times Nobody knows what you mean But if somehow you could pack up your sorrows and give them all to me You Beside you, no one to hide you, and nobody knows what you are. But if somehow you could pack up your sorrows and give them all to me, you would lose them. I know how to use them. Give them all to me. No use no Seeking a satisfied mind Too many highways, too many byways And nobody's walking behind But if somehow you could pack up your sorrows And give them all to me